It is the 200 level episode 123. Let the games begin. We are single digits away from Illinois, Wisconsin on a Friday night to kick off Big Ten football, which is pretty exciting to be the first on the docket. We have Illinois basketball on the schedule getting finalized as we get into what, a month away? I guess five weeks away from when Illinois basketball would start during the Thanksgiving holiday. So it's all coming, right? We're excited for it, uh, and I need it, to be quite honest, after the Yankees and the way that they finished their season on Friday. I got the Bears, so Illini fans and Central Illinois that are Bears fans, we're feeling pretty good right now about our football teams, but man, that was rough. But at the same time, at the same time, as rough as that was to see the Yankees lose in the way that they did, there was something, and forgive me for sounding a little maybe cheesy here, but there was something nice about actually feeling that kind of anguish again. I remember back in July during that basketball tournament, the basketball tournament, TBT, and the House of Pain, they make their run, and I remember being disappointed when they lost, and it was nice to feel disappointment again. Now, that pales, of course, in comparison to losing to your hated rival in the ALDS in Game 5 in excruciating fashion, but it was a reminder why we watch these games, because if it would have been the opposite result... As I texted my dad in the eighth inning of that game, this is either going to be triumph or it's going to be heartbreak. And it's nice in 2020 to actually experience that emotion, even if you're on the wrong side of it. I am ready to turn the page to football fully. Okay, we already got pro football going on and so far so good. They had the game on Tuesday evening between the Titans and the Bills. So now the Titans are playing again and there will be these intermittent disruptions that will happen. And I don't think it would have been fair to expect anything less during a pandemic. For the most part, though, they are getting the job done. For the most part, Power Five conferences in college football are getting the job done, too. They're figuring this thing out. Not to say there are not inherent risk involved, and not to say that there are not risk to the communities in which these teams play, where if an outbreak spreads in the locker room, then it could spread in the community at large. But we are not seeing that to a great extent, hardly at all. And that's something I couldn't have predicted. So if we are talking best case scenario with sports, it's kind of twofold. One, actually get the games in during this pandemic crazy year, right? And the second would be as a fan to actually experience the roller coaster sensation that you get from watching these games. To have that back, it was a welcome sight. It was a welcome feeling to feel, yeah, I think the Yankees are going to win this for the first five or six innings. And then when it got tied, thinking, I think the Rays are probably going to take this one. But that's okay. That, that's the roller coaster. I, I tossed my phone to the floor. It's in an otter box, so it was fine. I didn't throw it as hard as I did remote controls back in the day. Many remote controls were casualties of my sports anger. Many PS2 controllers were casualties of my Madden anger. Temper and anger issues have not been something I normally have outside of sports. The other exception to that, I guess, would be if technology isn't working. So if Netflix or Hulu is slow to load, and then I start cursing the TV, which is a pretty stupid thing to do. But that even came back out. I tossed the phone to the floor, and then, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, we're watching an old episode of Bob Ross on YouTube and calming down, which, you know, Bob Ross will have that effect on you. Here we are, though. October 14th, as I'm recording this, we have games to look forward to. We have a schedule for football, of course. We got that taken care of. And we have one taking shape for basketball. That's why this episode titled Let the Games Begin, as we here at the 200 level are getting prepared for how we are going to cover these games throughout football and basketball season. And we got it all set up. I'm going to get to that in a bit. Exciting news uh, on a personal front here in just a bit. 
Before we do, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. You can get a custom zone, any topping you want, and they got plenty of them, or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. You get the dipping sauce on the side, and best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Go online to dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. Karen and I have been working with him directly as we finish up our move. We are a day away from closing, and he has made it incredibly easy. We signed up for homeowners and auto, a nice bundle from State Farm, and he took care of everything for us. It was a couple phone calls. It was a couple quick emails, and before we know it, we were covered. And best of all, we know that we can trust him. We've known Brian before we started working with him, so it was a really easy transition for us, and I cannot recommend Brian and his staff enough. So if you have any insurance questions, if you're thinking about making that jump, you know the prices are going to be good right? It is State Farm. But you also know the service is going to be fantastic. So let me please give the personal stamp of approval, just as I would for any of these sponsors, for State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Trevor's favorite domain name. Mine too is now my favorite domain name. Fourth and Kirby, we got some really cool swag. They got a flying Illini t-shirt that you're going to love going into basketball season. They also have a crew neck sweatshirt, which if you recall, Last year, the throwback uniforms for Illinois basketball had that script Illinois font. I got the orange t-shirt with that blue font on it. Now they have a blue crew neck sweatshirt with the orange script Illinois font. It looks awesome. I'm going to get it just in time for the game next Friday and probably wear that every single game day in addition to my big guy football t-shirt. Great stuff from Forth and Kirby. They're going to be helping out with the new studio. New studio. That's right. They're going to be helping out with that as well because they're good guys. They have amazing designs. And just like any sponsor here in the 200 level, my personal stamp of approval. That's got to count for something, right? Fourthandkirby.com and use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level at fourthandkirby.com. Illini Inquirer, you can find them online at illinois.247sports.com. That's Jeremy, Derek, Gavin, great staff over there covering all aspects of Illinois football, basketball, and even non-revenue sports. And of course, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, busy season for them. You can listen to Elizabeth Hess's podcast, I Have to Ask. She's talking with a lot of local politicians that are running for office. And then, of course, the Champagne is also a band podcast talking to local musicians. I've been on that a few times with Sven. Really cool podcast network to be a part of. And growing its audience, growing in stature in the community, it's exciting to be kind of on the ground floor of something. All, of course, thanks to Champagne Showers and Boswell over there. So that's quite a love fest, right, in the last two minutes. Our sponsors, our partners... But, you know, they are important for the 200 level, and we appreciate being associated with some quality stuff. All right, so big news, big news. We're moving, and I mentioned that before. We are moving tomorrow. So I'm sitting here in the basement. I'm looking around to my left, to my right, behind me, in front of me, boxes, band amps. I had to clean these things, which over the years, not were they only collecting dust, but this is an old basement. I'm pretty sure there's mold on it because anytime I would come out of the basement, (sighs) wheezing. And I got to think that's probably a reaction to old mold. Isn't mold old? Isn't all mold old though? Anyways, enough of that wordplay. As I'm sitting here though, you might even notice that my shortness of breath may pop in every now and then. And I think that's just because we've kicked up all the old dust and mold that's accumulated over the years. But we're cleaning it now. We're getting all these boxes, getting everything ready to go. So Thursday, we're closing. We're moving. Not too far away to a really cool older neighborhood in Champaign which is always the goal, which is always the goal to stay in Champaign, these older neighborhoods that are just 
so cool, so much character. That was our thing, finding an old neighborhood with character, and we found it. And we found a house that I think we plan on being in forever, right? That's going to be our place. I don't think there's going to be any more, I don't know if upgrade's the right word or not, but expansion. I think we're pretty much set. So with that, we went yesterday to check this place out and eyeball it one more time. Where are we going to put this piece of furniture? Where are we going to put this piece of furniture? And where are we going to put the studio? And I got it. I got the spot for the studio. And what's really cool about this setup, well, first off, it's actually going to be on the second floor instead of the basement. So I can look out and I can see the neighborhood. I can see life. Right now from the studio, I do have a window to my right, but I basically see mulch. That ain't going to do it for you. So in this setting, figuring out where everything's going to go, I have the perfect setup, especially for these episodes where we hop on for the fourth quarter of a football game and do the post game. TV, probably three feet from my face. I don't know if that's good for my eyes or not, but at least for a little bit, it'll be okay. Computer right in front of me, mixing board to the right. I got the studio set up. We got fourth and Kirby. I think they're going to help me get some really cool uh, decorations for that corner in the studio room and we're going to make it very cozy and I'm excited for that because when it comes to where you actually do your stuff the 200 level band recordings all that this the basement's been the spot but aesthetically it's not really pleasing to the eye it is what it is it's a basement exposed white concrete walls if it wasn't for these acoustic tiles they'd be hearing reverb all over the place and Yet we've gotten it done. But I am excited to see if that is conducive to better podcasting and better creativity, actually being in a nice room where you enjoy going to. Not that I don't enjoy coming down to the cold, dingy basement, but that's what it is, a cold, dingy basement. So we're really excited. We got the closing again tomorrow. Friday is the big move move day and then a long weekend to get everything in. And it's close enough to our old house that we have plenty of time to take those small trips back and forth and get everything in there and hoping that essentially we're kind of lived in by Sunday. No Bears game. Well, no, there is a Bears game on Sunday. Yeah, so that's the goal. That's the goal right there. Be lived in by Sunday when the Bears and the Panthers play at noon. It seemed like not that long ago that they beat the Bucks on Thursday Night Football. So exciting stuff personally, and I am really pumped to get going next week with a midweek podcast. Of course, Mondays with Mike with Jeremy. And then on top of that, you have Friday night, October 24th, or is it 23rd? Sorry, yeah, October 23rd against Wisconsin at Camp Randall. We're going to get to that in a bit, but we are single digits away from not only Illinois, Wisconsin, but the 200 level post game podcast with Isaac, with Trevor, confirm with them. We'll start doing midweek podcasts with Harry throughout football season. And we're going to be getting a lot of content out there, along with, of course, Mondays with Mike, Alana Inquirer, all the stuff that they push out as well. I noticed last podcast we called Unchained in honor of Eddie Van Halen. And I said at the beginning of the episode that I would talk about him later on. I didn't. I completely blew it. I named an episode title after Eddie Van Halen. Didn't even address it, apart from, oh, it's sad. I want to spend just a few minutes on that because music, as much as I love sports, music is 1A. If sports are 1B, music is 1A. And Van Halen specifically, it's not a band that is in my, let's say, top tier. I wouldn't get a VH tattoo, even though that is a really cool logo, and it wouldn't be a bad one to get. But I was thinking about this after David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. He had a controversial tweet where he said, meh, about Eddie Van Halen. Essentially, he was just saying that Eddie's style didn't do much for him. That's totally fair. Music is subjective in that way. 
Apparently, he didn't recognize that Eddie had died the week before. He tried to kind of have an apology tweet after that, but the damage had been done. And here's what I thought when that came out and the reaction that followed. Eddie Van Halen is probably the most influential guitar player since, what, well, since he came out. Jimmy Page before that, certainly up there. Jimi Hendrix before that. Eric Clapton before that. Those were the forefathers. But if you talk about most impactful and influential guitar players of all time, Eddie is top five and really in the last 40 years might be number one. There's no guitarist whose style has influenced more guitar players since 1978 when that debut came out to now than Eddie Van Halen. He was 22, 22 years old, I believe, when that first album came out. They had been playing since he was, what, 14, 15 years old, a variety of bands. He started out on the drums. Alex Van Halen started out on the guitar, and they switched. Pretty good switch, I would say. And Alex Van Halen, don't just because he's not as good at drums as Eddie is at guitar, doesn't mean that Alex isn't a great drummer, because he is. So ridiculously talented guys. Their dad was, I think, a professional musician himself, clarinet. And that even appeared on their album Diver Down for uh, Big Bad Bill of Sweet William Now, I think is the song. So anyways, in the span of six, seven years, from 78 to 84, that band released six albums called The Six Pack, which makes sense because they were a hard partying, hard drinking band. And that is something that played a role in Eddie's life later. But The Six Pack of VH original albums from Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, Women and Children First, Fair Warning, Diver Down, 1984. There are few bands that can match that output from their first six albums. Funny thing about old Van Halen albums, they're each about 33 to 35 minutes in length. They don't have any prog rock songs. I think the longest song that they recorded might be Everybody Wants Some, and that's like five minutes flat or five and a half minutes tops. I don't think they really have any longer songs than that. They weren't a jam band. But they were a band that had really paid their dues through tons of backyard parties in California and the Pasadena area specifically. Then they get a residence at a club. One of those old stories where, yeah, we played four sets a night and we had a repertoire of 80 songs and then we started writing originals. All those old tropes about a band paying their dues with parties and then clubs, really honing their chops before they burst onto the big scene. That was Van Halen's story. Gene Simmons was one of the people to discover them. He did a demo with them, and you can find it on YouTube. These recordings are out there. You can hear early Van Halen from 76 or 77 playing early versions of some of their classics. And not only that, but even some songs that they resurrected in 2012 for a reunion album, a very underrated album with David Lee Roth called A Different Kind of Truth. So seven albums told they did with David Lee Roth, four different albums they did with Sammy Hagar, and then the one, of course, with Gary Sharon. Back in 1998, Van Halen 3, that was not well-received, right? And I have not, to be completely transparent, even bothered listening to that. Definitely a David Lee Roth guy. Sammy Hagar, there are some great hits that he had with Van Halen. And we saw him, my dad and I saw Van Hagar, as they would often be dubbed, back in 2004. Had a great time. It was over in Indy. And we had lawn tickets and we get in there. And I don't think it sold all that well because they were giving upgrades to the pavilion for like five bucks a pop. So we decided to jump on that, and it was a great show. It was super entertaining. Eddie seemed eccentric. Come to find out, he was probably just really, really drunk. He was in a bad, bad place in that 2004 tour. They came to Champaign later that fall, but we were, I think, in Boston for some reason. Yeah, we were in Boston for a trip with my grandparents, so that's why we didn't see him the second time. We probably would have. But it was a great show, and then that tour ended, and then that was it. That was it for Van Hagar. 
in late 2006, those rumors started about David Lee Roth and Van Halen. And that was exciting to me because I distinctly remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, some neighborhood friends of ours, one of their sons had made a mixtape of Van Halen stuff that started, of course, in 1984, the synth intro from the album of the same name, and then went into Jump. And that was my first exposure to Van Halen was that mixtape, Panama, Hot for Teacher. And then it actually included cuts from their early stuff, Running with the Devil, I'm the One, Ain't Talking About Love, Atomic Punk. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is something I'm pretty into. Of course, MTV still played videos back then. So that only you know accelerated my you know interest in Van Halen when you see Jump, which keep in mind, like Jump, Panama, Hot for Teacher, they always did things with a wink and a smile. And that, I think, is a key point to Eddie Van Halen and his appeal. A genius, but a friendly one. Geniuses are often very shut in. They are not known for being very amiable and kind. Eddie's reputation, despite all the lead singer stuff, right, between David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar, he was known by most people as a really good and down-to-earth dude. And he always played, and even in 2004 when he was probably in bad shape, the entire show, he's smiling, he's having a good time. That is contagious. And Van Halen, the ultimate party band, the ultimate feel-good rock band, that's their legacy. When it comes to rock and roll, you want to feel good listening to it. I listen to Led Zeppelin. There are songs that make me feel good. There are songs that make me grrr, you know, because that's just the palette that they had to play with. Van Halen may not have had that diverse of a palette, but what they were good at, they were excellent at. And as I go back and listen to especially the older stuff and what Eddie does on that instrument, we take it for granted now because we've heard it from him and we've heard it from all the the spawn of imitators that came after him, many of whom are, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to say that disparagingly, many of the guys that were influenced by Eddie became amazing guitarists in their own right, but we were spoiled by his talent to the point where things that are absolutely jaw-dropping and incredible on guitar We've heard so many times that we just think, oh, that's that's just what guitarists do. No. <laughs> oh, let me assure you, that is not just what guitarists do. I could not play an Eddie Van Halen lick, apart from Running With The Devil. We did that in the band because that's one of the more simple ones. Even the solo, you can, you can pull off. But the stuff he does, it takes a special kind of guitarist to even attempt to play that kind of stuff. But many did. And that's back to the point, the closing point with Eddie. There is not a more influential or impactful guitar player, at least in the last 40 years, than Eddie Van Halen. And his place in history is secure. It was secure anyway. It's a shame that 2015 was the last time that they went out. I saw them in 07, the reunion tour, which was just, oh my God. You talk about the anticipation walking in the United Center and knowing I was going to see David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen on stage again. And it surpassed those expectations. It was a phenomenal show. 2012, a couple of shows as well that were great. And I know David Lee Roth, not known for really keeping tune or hitting those notes live, but the show itself is so good, it didn't matter. And Eddie is so good, it didn't matter. So those are highlights in all the shows I've been to. And seeing them four times, three with David Lee Roth, that's something I'm going to hold forever. That's a special memory. I saw the news that Eddie had passed away as I was walking into Schnooks to get something. I forget what even. And I began reflecting right then and there about how all these concerts I go to, and anytime someone says, well, why do you go to all these things? You know, I mean, couldn't you spend your money elsewhere? Aren't there other things you could do? Not many people say that, but a few do. And this is why. You know, Eddie's gone now. And I think that when I saw him in 07 and 2012 and even 04, The reason, part of the reason, at least going to see all these rock bands 
is that it won't last forever and that these are memories that literally last with you for the rest of your life. I can go to YouTube and watch a clip here or there and that will jog my memory even more, but those things are fresh. I mean, they are ingrained in my memory and I can go back to that memory bank anytime and relive those Van Halen shows and relive what it's like. I mean, you talk about all-time band intros, the bands that had the coolest ways to enter the stage. I would venture to say that Van Halen had the coolest because it was so stripped down, house lights go off, Alex Van Halen starts going crazy on the drums, Eddie's guitar starts squealing, and then David Lee Roth offstage says, Are you ready? The mighty Van Halen. And then they launch into Unchained. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Go to YouTube, find Van Halen. Let's see, I want to make sure I get the tour right. 1982. Just type Van Halen 1982. Pretty sure the first video you see is a concert from maybe Edmonton. I'm, I wish I could get it right for you right now, but you're going to find it's a full concert and it begins with that very thing. House lights off, spotlights going crazy. You can't really see anyone on the stage, but you can hear Alex Van Halen and you can hear Eddie Van Halen squealing on guitar as David Lee Roth is shouting. And then the riff starts and the lights blow up and the place goes nuts. I submit to you one of the coolest ways that any band is ever going to enter the stage. And fortunately for me, after they opened 07 and the first show in 2012 with You Really Got Me, which is a great song and a cool opener, the last Van Halen show I saw, that's exactly what they did. House Lights Off, Eddie and Alex going crazy, and then Unchained. Too cool. So rest in peace, Eddie. It's a, a huge loss. 65 years old is way too young. 10 years battling cancer. And that means he was touring while he had cancer, whether it was dormant or under control, but he had these sort of flare-ups over the last 10 years. And I think people close to him knew that it wasn't long before he succumbed to it. His son, Wolfgang, incredibly talented guy who was going to release his own music going forward and probably keep that Van Halen mystique alive because he's a virtuoso in his own right, but a sad loss for music. And I don't want people to lose sight of just how influential he was and will remain And it's the only silver lining when these guys die is that resurgence of interest in their work. We're seeing that on iTunes. You go there, see their top 20 albums. You got Van Halen all over it. People are listening again, and I hope they continue to, because that band, at their peak, there were few, if any, rock bands in the world that could compete with the mighty Van Halen. All right. That might have went a little bit longer than I anticipated for a Van Halen tribute. I completely botched that last episode unchained oh should i say anything no not really i'll just move on but yeah important to me in in my musical career as well even though hell i can't play like him that's for sure now we are going to transition back into sports somewhat clumsily we have games to look forward to as the episode title is called let the games begin i'm going to start with uh, illinois basketball we will be of course really honing in on football next week and by the way this is the only episode we're going to do this week is moving but next week, we're going to, of course, go 100% Illini football, preview it midweek, do the actual post-game podcast on Friday night. That's going to be a late night, knowing these games go about four hours. But with Illinois basketball, we are now beginning to see that schedule take shape. We had most of these ideas in mind last week when we talked about the multi-team event, the MTE, that's going to take place at State Farm Center on November 25th, 26th, and 27th. And that is what's going to kick off this season 27 games, and we are assuming 20 conference games. Here's what we know about Illinois' non-conference schedule so far. We have 
the MTE on November 25th through 27th that is welcoming these three teams. Wright State, pretty good team with a returning redshirt senior. I'll get to him in a second. Ohio and North Carolina A&T, not AT&T, as I so often said last year, North Carolina A&T. Now, this is an interesting note. This is from Matt Norlander of what Sports Illustrated? CBS Sports, sorry. He said that the Friday game would move to Saturday if Ohio State and Illinois, the football game, gets flexed to Friday, November 27th. I don't think anyone anticipates that. It seemed like the way that Lovey and other people were talking when the Illinois-Wisconsin game time came out, they seemed to indicate that would be the only Friday night game on the docket. So I don't think you need to anticipate that game being moved for Illinois basketball. Nonetheless, here we go. We got Wright State. So their head coach is Scott Nagy. And Illini fans of a certain age will remember Dick Nagy, who was the assistant for Lou Henson. So he is the son. And he was also a grad assistant, uh, if I recall, for Lou Henson. And they will be one of the teams coming in. Okay, so we have Wright State. Last year, they were 25-7. and They were first place in the Horizon League. Wright State, if I recall, was also the home of Mark Allstork from the Remember When file. Mark Allstork, who I guess was decent here, right? Ludon Love, what a great name. He's a redshirt senior. He had about 16 points and 10 rebounds a game. He was the conference player of the year last year. So he is still on Wright State. You could do worse in terms of a non-conference opponent. And I'll be interested to see the way that this four-game or four-team event is scheduled. Would Illinois wait to play Wright State at the very end after they're nice and tuned up? Or are they going to play them first? I would almost rather play the scrubs first. I don't know if there's any scrubs per se in this round of four teams, but if there is, it would probably be North Carolina A&T. They were here last year. Kofi had a great game against them. Illinois won by like 30. It wasn't really even that close. So North Carolina A&T, maybe you open up the season with them if Illinois gets to strategically schedule this thing, and I'm guessing that they will. Ohio was 17-15. and 15. John Gross's old home. Current coach is Jeff Bowles, and he was an Ohio State assistant. He was at Stony Brook before going to Ohio. So there are your three teams in that event. You got Ohio, North Carolina, A&T, and then the toughest one being Wright State. Though, of course, this should be a 3-0 start for Illinois and a nice tune-up. Leading into what? Well, leading into December 2nd. Now, I don't know if there's going to be a game between November 27th and December 2nd. There may be because they probably will start Big Ten basketball in mid Uh, late December, let's say the third week of December, so they can get 20 games in and make sure that they have some room to move in case there's COVID-19 positive tests, that sort of thing. But December 2nd in Orlando, the Jimmy V Classic Baylor, first marquee matchup of the year. You had the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which may actually fall before that December 2nd game, and in all likelihood, playing a top-tier ACC team. That means in your first five games, you'll have the multi-team event at home, against Wright State, Ohio, North Carolina, A&T, not AT&T, Baylor, and then Big Ten ACC Challenge. Let's just say for fun, for giggles, Duke or Louisville, right? Then you are going out of that five-game opening stretch with two wins that could basically lock you in to a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. I know that might sound a bit presumptuous, but think of it this way. 20 Big Ten games in this Big Ten conference, knowing that it's a little bit top-heavy, with Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State as well, and that there is a little bit of a middle section. I guess Ohio State would be close to that upper echelon, knowing what Holtman can do over there. 
but then you kind of got a muddled mess in the middle, and you have a couple bad teams as well. I say that that Baylor and, let's say, Duke game could essentially decide your basement. By getting wins against non-conference teams like that, that could essentially determine what your floor is for NCAA tournament seeding, presuming that Illinois can go 15-5 and or 14-6 and in the conference, which I think they can. I think this year of all years, not just the roster, but all the other factors we've talked about before, how this team tended to do well on the road, and they tended to play a little bit tighter at home. And if there is a team where there will be an advantage playing in a bunch of empty stadiums, I think it would be this Illinois team. I say the same about Illinois football for different reasons, right? But I'm just going off of the way that this team, their temperature seemed to be dictated by where they were playing. And often that was away from home where I guess there wasn't that pressure. I'm not sure. I think that plays into their hands. And even more so when you get into the actual NCAA tournament and it is really a neutral site. There's been no more word on a bubble or anything like that. And my concern, of course, is that when you're playing that many games, even if COVID-19 has relatively died out on campus, and even though most of these campuses in December and January will not have students, there's still that lingering concern that one of your key players gets it. And if he gets it the wrong time, your season could be, if not derailed, really negatively impacted. It's, it's like, keep Io in a bubble. Io, don't go anywhere. We will deliver you all your food, and we'll go to Walgreens and get all the stuff. Listen, we'll take care of it, Io. There would be a, a chain of supporters here in Champaign-Urbana that would sign up to deliver things, deliver goods to the entire Illinois basketball team to ensure that they stay healthy. I, I worry about that only because we see in the NFL, for example, not playing in a bubble, and yet for the most part doing this thing right, there are still the occasional, not very many, but still the occasional COVID-19 positive test. Please don't let it happen to these guys. Please don't let it happen. And then if it happens to other teams, well, then the schedule becomes impacted. And what if that means Illinois all of a sudden goes from three games in 10 days to four games in seven days, right? There are situations, unfortunately, with the flexibility that's going to be asked of these teams, especially during the conference season where they might get a big run of games in a short amount of time because of previous positive tests. But you know what? Most teams are in the same boat. So not going to play the world's smallest violin for Illinois in this case, and not going to worry for them any more than other teams worry about their own fortunes. But I really am excited to see a schedule taking shape. We know the 20-game schedule for the Big Ten is going to be dictated on who are the single plays. What breaks do Illinois get in that schedule? That will go a long way between determining if Illinois or Iowa or Wisconsin, I guess, Michigan State is ultimately sitting alone at the top or maybe co-champions with three or four other teams. It does feel like a season in which there could be, what, four co-champions because they're all good in different ways. But I do think Illinois at the end of the day has the highest ceiling. And that's not just the fanboy in me talking. I'm thinking, please let us get whatever those breaks may be. In this year of all years, even though we can't go to State Farm Center, presumably, we can't go to State Farm Center to watch them, let this be the year, right? Let this be the year where they win an outright Big Ten title, and then they win the Big Ten tournament, and then they make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. The cool thing is, these are not outlandish ideas, not with this team. And we'll know a lot in that Baylor and, let's say, Duke or Louisville. We'll know a lot in these first five games how good this team is. They don't need to win those games. They don't. If they do, the anticipation and excitement in this area, 
I know we can't really share it in a packed bar, but you will still feel it in Champaign-Urbana. Even though we're all kind of sequestered in our homes, I guess, in December and January, you're going to feel that temperature rise if they can win some early non-conference battles against top 10 teams. And they can. But even if they don't, go back to Bill Self's first year where they went 13-3 and in that non-conference. Was it 13-3? and That might be right. That seems like a lot of games for a non-conference. But regardless, they did lose to Arizona once. They lost to Duke and I think Maryland. But they had other quality wins, including one against Arizona. And Seton Hall, maybe, they beat Missouri as well. So they offset all those with other quality wins and still got a one seed in the tournament. We see this with Michigan State quite a bit. They might not win those early season matchups against the top five or top 10 teams. But at the end of the year, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to hurt. We know that. Losing to a Baylor or Duke is not going to hurt you. But damn if it can't help you. And really just raise that basement. And say, you know what? This, at worst, is going to be a three seed in the NCAA tournament. What a way to enter a season. Truly something that you have not seen since 0405, where the expectation goes beyond just making the tournament. The expectation goes to being a top seed in the NCAA tournament. And anything must be a disappointment. Now, it could play out like 2001, 2002, where you had all these guys coming back. Frank comes back. Lucas Johnson, despite the ACL injury, he comes back. And you were loaded and you're an older team, you know this is the last shot for them, and then they end up getting a four seed in the tournament and losing in the Sweet 16. For them, that was a disappointment. We would still take that this year, right? Though I think that finishing with a four seed in the NCAA tournament, not making it to the Elite Eight or Final Four, would have that same empty kind of feeling that I remember having after Frank took his last bow up in the Kohl Center. It was not the ending that we dreamed up for that team, and I think that the ending that we're dreaming up for this team is probably, well, I don't know, Final Four. It's a dangerous hole to get into, right? It's dangerous, and I know that Jeremy and I have often talked about this, how the expectation should be win conference titles. Because in the NCAA tournament, it's a crapshoot. And I don't care what postseason you're talking about. Postseasons are crapshoots, even more so when it's single elimination. So can we really judge a team based on one bad day in the NCAA tournament? Or can we judge a program based on a few years in a row where they can't quite get over that hump in the NCAA tournament. I know we do. We, we certainly do. But should we? Should we judge this team based on what happens on a Saturday or Sunday in a neutral site in the NCAA tournament? I will judge it far less, of course, based on the regular season. And, you know, try not to put the, the cart before the horse, the wagon before the horse. What's that term? Try not to get ahead of myself, essentially. But for me, the measuring stick for whether or not this is a successful season, is truly, can they win a Big Ten title? A 20-game stretch, can they be the best team in the conference and announce that, yes, we are Illinois basketball, we are back to the upper echelon of Big Ten basketball? If they do that, mission accomplished. Everything after that is a cherry on top. You would not want to lose, of course, opening round matchup and be that team that everyone talks about, oh, God, remember that really good Illinois team that lost to Austin P. You don't want that. I don't foresee it, but the thing is, it could happen. So in the meantime, get that Big Ten title in your back pocket. Make sure that everybody knows that you're back. You're here to stay. And then it would soften the blow if there is, in fact, a March disappointment. But isn't it nice to think that I think five weeks, I need to check my calendar here, but it's October 14th. So that means from today, today is a Wednesday. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, I guess. It is six weeks until that Thanksgiving holiday. How excited I'm going to be to turn on the TV in the new house, no less. That, of course, helps. 
and watch Illinois, North Carolina, A&T. And I don't care if Big Ten Plus says you got to pay $20 to watch this three-day tournament. Whatever. Take my money. I, I would love if actually the Illinois Athletic Department, they could make some money off of this. They can't get fans in the stadiums and then set up a streaming network. Here's my 20 bucks. Happy to watch basketball all weekend long as I'm having my turkey sandwich or as Lon is having his turkey sandwich with mustard, Doritos, and a cold Mountain Dew. Give me that. I'd be just over the moon to know that it's back, to start 3-0, to set yourself up for a position where you have, no, it's not must win, certainly not must win, but cherry on top opportunities against Baylor and then an ACC opponent. It's setting up. I always loved, and I don't know if you recall this, going into local businesses and they would have the pocket schedules. And especially when I was younger, I'd take a few of them. And in high school, I remember I had probably like five different pocket schedules in my car. Why did I need that many? I don't know. But there was one in the glove box. There was one in the center console, probably one in the door, probably one in that little pocket that you have behind the passenger seat. I had them all over. And sometimes just daydreaming in class or something, I think about that schedule and go, okay, let's see. They probably are going to lose at Michigan State and probably they're going to lose at Ohio State, but maybe they can flip. I'm playing that game now, even a 33. It is a totally pointless game to play because things change. Some teams that you thought would suck are better. Some teams that you thought were going to be good, they have an injury or they just end up sucking, right? Playing that win-loss, dare-to-dream thing, we do it for fun. We do it tongue-in-cheek. But I do find myself looking at the schedule sometimes and thinking, mm-hmm, well, if they do this and then they do that, then this could happen. Now we get to play that game again. And this year, I kind of need that game to play. It's, it's a welcome relief in the middle of all this, to know that this Illinois team will get an opportunity to play. And we could say, well, things could get worse. The virus could get worse. Listen, the virus is out there. It's, I mean, we're setting records every day. We're number one. We're number one. I mean, America's just killing it in terms of how many people are getting sick from this stupid thing. And I don't mean to make light of it. But what I think we're finding out is that sports leagues are just venturing ahead. Of course, I understand the moral and ethical dilemma here. I feel it myself sometimes. But it is almost, if not completely, very close to completely diminished by my excitement for the return of these games and specifically the return of Illinois basketball with this roster. Before we get to Illinois football, Bryce Hopkins, he's delaying his announcement. I don't know if it matters. I don't know if Bryce Hopkins is going to come to Illinois. I don't feel good about it. When you have Kentucky, Indiana, when you have Providence, and as I told Jeremy, when you have a team like Providence in your final four, it doesn't make me feel any better. It actually makes me think, oh God, why are they in it? There must be something here, right? I don't know if Bryce Hopkins is coming. And frankly, I need to detach myself. I didn't really get caught up in the Nesbitt recruitment. And when that announcement came out, none of us were shocked. And I don't think it was any more than just disappointment. And then you kind of move on. But the 2021 class is becoming a concern at the moment. However, there was news yesterday from the NCAA that could completely change the thought process behind this 2021 class, especially as it relates to can Illinois still come out on top with a 2021 class that will help them next season? I think they'll be able to. And this is an article from Pat Forty and Ross Dellinger from yesterday. NCAA pro- proposal says that transfers will be granted immediate eligibility. Athletes can soon transfer schools and play immediately. There you go. Here's some more details. That's according to proposed legislation sent to Division I council members this week and obtained by Sports Illustrated. The council is expected to introduce the proposal in the NCAA's 2020-21 legislative cycle 
at its meeting Wednesday, with a vote coming in January for an effective date of August 1, 2021. This is going to be a proposal that allows players to transfer once without penalty. Now, if it goes into effect August 1, 2021, then how much is that going to help you next season? I'm not sure. Will that help you offset any guys that you didn't get in the 2021 class for the 2022 season? Absolutely. And I do think we've seen from this coaching staff, they have an ability to expand their scope and go get the four-year guys, go get the two-year transfers, go get the JUCO guys. They are casting a wide net, and I think that will be an advantage for them when this comes into play. This will be an advantage for some coaches that just just decide they're going to become transfer you. I look at a Fred Hoiberg, who was known for not really loving high school recruiting. And for Nebraska, he's already kind of gone that transfer route. I wouldn't be surprised if he just takes it to the nth degree, turns them into transfer you. Will that lead to sustained success? Probably not. But will this help programs that want to supplement what they already have? Absolutely. This is where I do trust Underwood and the staff to close on some guys in this transfer portal that's going to be huge, huge, very soon. And it would offset 2021 if, in fact, it's Luke Goody and a couple B and C options. I still think you can close well in this class. You get Mac Etienne. I want to make sure I'm getting that last name right. Maybe I'm not, but I think it's a French last name. If you get that big along with a Luke Goody and then you fill it in with whatever, you're probably going to be just fine and you continue that momentum. The key thing on top of all of this, whether it be from the transfer market where they start supplementing in 2021, 2022, the key thing is that Underwood has his core. And what I mean by that is they have Andre Crabello and Adam Miller. Presuming that Adam Miller is not a one-and-done or maybe even a two-and-done, you have a backcourt that you feel really, really strongly about. And you can build a roster around that. They've done a good job finding these pieces. A Coleman Hawkins is someone that we don't really talk about but was actually a pretty good recruit. He just gets lost under the shuffle of Andre Corbello and Adam Miller. You have the guys like Hutcherson and Grandison, and we'll see what they bring, even though that is a two-year project. But by the time they leave, you would have the option of getting transfers in this extremely large transfer portal. I think things can all work out. Do I still want the four-year high school guy or two to finish out this 2021 class? Absolutely. You want to feel that sense of momentum, and you don't want to lose that sense of momentum. And right now, Illinois is in a place, fortunately, with this roster and with the expectations of this season where they can ride this out for a bit. And even if they strike late, they're still going to look like, oh boy, man, Illinois got another great recruiting class and it looks like Brad Underwood is set. So I think in that regard, it's important to close well in this class, at least to announce to people that this is not some sort of flash in the pan. Oh, Iowa and Kofi are gone, so now we're going to be mediocre again. No, we are here to stay. We continue to get top level talent. But this does offer an out. This offers an alternative in case that doesn't come to fruition and offers this staff enough time to make those inroads, to set up those little channels, underground channels, that when these names start popping up, they say, oh, I'll take you and I'll take you. And with the amount of people that are going to be out, it's going to be like going into an ice cream shop. You get all these options, all these flavors, and you just say, I'll take you, and I'll take you. And Illinois may be an attractive destination, especially because there is going to be an opening of playing time. As you look at the roster, the way it's built right now, there will be an opening for playing time at most positions in 2022. That could play into their hands. Still, get Bryce Hopkins, top 100 guy, top 50 in some recruiting services. Get him. 
versatile guy, a wing that can play a little big, can play a little bit small. That positionless basketball that I know Brad Underwood has talked about quite often. Land him. And then get Mac on top of that, finish with another top 15 recruiting class, and then add the transfers on top of that and become a superpower in the Big Ten. I'll take that option. I'll go best case scenario because I, I think we know that Illinois basketball is capable of it. That best case scenario here is, in fact, a top five team and a possible run in the Final Four. We've seen that, right? There is context for that. It's exciting, though. It's exciting even to think about, okay, if Bryce Hopkins doesn't land, you know there's going to be another name popping up. And and because, if we're talking parallel tracks here, John Gross's parallel tracks were, I got these recruits, I didn't get them. And then in terms of what they did on the court, it was, "Uh, I'm close, but uh, I'm not good enough. We know that one of these tracks is going to be on the straight and narrow this year, that they are going to succeed on the court. And that will, at least for these next eight, nine months, soften the blow of any recruiting loss. That is Advantage Illinois, and specifically Advantage Illinois fans. I know that we're going to have to look at that when the season's over and the dust settles and we think, oh God, we only got Luke Goody? Yeah, that, that'd be a problem. But I don't foresee that happening. And whatever other guys you get to fill out that class, that remains to be seen as well. All right, a lot of Illini basketball, even though Illinois football is nine days away. This is exciting. Friday night, Big Ten Network, the opening game of the Big Ten season. And the nation will be watching, and that's not hyperbole. I know Big Ten Network is available most places, I think, even in non-Big Ten markets. This will be widely watched. This will be the triumphant return of Big Ten football. As long as Wisconsin can avoid spreading the disease in their own locker room, that state is a mess right now. And it's a shame. I love the state of Wisconsin. It's a beautiful state, great people. I sound like a politician right now, but it's a shame that they're blowing up like they are. Though it doesn't surprise me all that much, not to oversimplify it, but Wisconsin has per capita the most bars of any state. Not that that would surprise you. And this is a place where they will find any excuse to go into a bar and drink. And that's great. I mean, that's part of the fun of going up there every summer and going to Murtaugh's in downtown Minocqua. Bar culture is a real thing up there. But damn if it isn't spreading like wildfire. So please just chill out, guys, and keep that roster, keep that Badgers team sequestered. I want that game to happen next Friday. Do not blow this thing for me and other Illini fans and really football fans that will be tuning in. This is going to be a story. Big Ten football starts tonight. Colin Cowherd, Mike Greenberg. That morning, hey, Big Ten football's returning, Illinois, Wisconsin. Remember last year, Illinois got the upset against Wisconsin, and then the conversation may pivot to a larger Big Ten sort of thing, right? They may not spend a lot of time on Illinois and Lovey Smith, but what an opportunity. And regardless of when Illinois and Wisconsin played, they could have played at 11 a.m. that following day on Saturday, as I kind of presumed it would be, or maybe a 2.30 game. And I thought that it would get a decent amount of coverage, but most people are probably not anticipating a second upset in a row. And that that interest sort of fizzles if Wisconsin's up 17 points in the fourth quarter. But that Friday night, you get the stage alone. There may be another college football game here or there. There may be. But that will be the big one. So for expectations for Illinois in that game, you know, it's funny. The closer it gets, as a fan, the natural inclination is, well, it could happen. And I think we could all sit here and say, with fairness, yes, it absolutely could happen. This is a good Wisconsin team. It's a great program. We know that. But we also know what they're good at. 
And for whatever reason, that game last year at Memorial Stadium, Wisconsin did what they do. There were, of course, some questionable calls from Paul Christ that ultimately may have cost them. But it seemed to play into the hands of Levy Smith and the kind of defense that he wants to run. Wisconsin's not going to reinvent the wheel. They are not going to come out and run a spread offense. Their sophomore quarterback, Mertz, I believe, may have more mobility than Jack Cohn. But is he going to be another Antoine Randall or something? And then no, probably not. So what that means is this game should be one in which you are competitive and in which you keep it close and have an opportunity with a few plays here, a few plays there, to maybe win it. What percent chance do I give Illinois to win this? I don't know, 15? I wouldn't give it something minuscule as a 5 or a 7. Because when you look at college football, LSU going into Missouri, and Missouri putting up 45 points on them and beating them, you look at all these results. You look at Ole Miss taking Alabama to the brink. And I believe Arkansas, they sprung an upset too. It's been a weird year in college football, understandably so. It's kind of got a stop-start nature to it. Everything was delayed. There's no reason to think that Illinois can't be another one of those teams that pulls off an upset. I, I won't be predicting that, but I will be interested to see the line come out in Vegas, which I would think would be coming out next Monday, maybe game week, or I don't know if it's going to come out before or not. And I would not be surprised if that line is in the single digits. Nine and a half? If it starts at 11.5 or something like that, watch it go lower than that. Watch it go into the single digits pretty quickly because I don't think people are buying the traditional favorites to smoke teams this year. We haven't seen a ton of that. We've seen oddly close games. We've seen a lot of high scores, a lot of high scores, which I wouldn't be surprised if next Friday is the same situation. Offenses should be in an advantage here, especially in week one where there's not tape on what the offense is going to do this year. They can look at the tape from last year's game, Wisconsin. And just like Illinois, we'll look at Wisconsin from last year. But there are going to be some wrinkles introduced that no defense will be prepared for. Because of that, because of that, I hope, the hope in me, is that this Illinois offense and the experience they have and the return of Brandon Peters and his familiarity with the offense gives you a leg up on the true sophomore quarterback for Wisconsin and whatever other tricks they can throw at you. Will that come to pass? Will they win or will they be right there in the fourth quarter? I don't know. But I, I will say... I would be extremely disappointed, not just mildly, but extremely disappointed if this becomes another Illinois-Wisconsin game that we were accustomed to, where Wisconsin beats you by 24, 27 points, and they just run for about 350 yards and make a complete ass of you. If that happens in year five of Lovey Smith, that does not bode well for the rest of the season. And it would be maybe a big mistake on my part to take one game and say, well, look at this. This is how the rest of the season is going to go. If I would have done that last year, and I did at the time after the Minnesota game think it's over, it's all over. As I think many of us thought, it still took time for Illinois to get out of that hole. And maybe the second half of the Michigan game was that moment where they got out of that hole. I, I don't know. Or if that was completely unrelated to the following week against Wisconsin. But if you make an ass of yourselves up at Camp Randall, it's not like teams can just immediately shift. There is a process here. And in an eight-game schedule, eight weeks, there's not a lot of time to turn things around. You kind of are what you are. And I know that it's a week-to-week proposition, but there is no warm-up period. There is no three, four-game stretch against a bunch of scrubs where you can pile up those three wins and say, great, we only need to go three and five in conference. It starts immediately. You are thrown to the wolves, as they would say. 
And Purdue in week two is not something I'm taking for granted either with Rondale Moore. I look at them as a complete wild card, a game that you probably should win if you are going to have a good season. But we know what Purdue and Jeff Brom can do. They spring the occasional game where they pop 48 points and you're just left bewildered. It happened to Ohio State two years ago. So why couldn't it happen here at Memorial Stadium with no fans in the stand anyway? So it's going to be one of those weird years where I would be disappointed, given all the circumstances, going into this Wisconsin game, if you lay a complete egg. I don't anticipate that. I also don't anticipate a win. And I don't know what a moral victory looks like. But it would be encouraging to look the part. It would be encouraging to essentially play them even and then just lose because, well, it's Wisconsin. It's on the road. And you know what? That happens to the best of them. That happens to Iowa more often than not. They go into Camp Randall. I don't know how successful they are there because teams in general are not successful at Camp Randall. And, but if they got to win, if they got to win, well, we'll broach that when we get there. It'll be a late Friday night. It'll be a late Friday, October 23rd. We got the setup. I got my computer. I got the TV there. I'll be looking at Trevor and Isaac on my left. I'll be looking at the game on my right, three feet away from me. My eyes will probably be bloodshot by the end of it, but we're going to have fun with it. <clears throat> and I'm excited to actually get back to these post-game podcasts because we had so much fun doing that with basketball last year. All right, it's time for me to sign off here. I got to get ready for school, get ready to teach the kids a thing or two, and get ready to move. So it's going to be a busy weekend. This is the only podcast we'll do this week. Next week, we'll have Mondays with Mike on the Illini Inquirer podcast. We'll have a midweek podcast getting ready for Illini, Wisconsin. And then we will have, of course, the game night podcast, which will be getting out there very late. If we're 7 p.m. kickoff, game ends at 10.30, 10.45. We're probably going to the podcast until 11.30, getting out there at midnight. But wouldn't it be sweet if it was a late night in celebration of an Illini win? It could. It could be. But I'm just excited we get to watch some games. Okay, before we go, reminder, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Great new swag, as always. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs. Gets the personal stamp of approval from me and Kara. It was so easy to work with Brian and his staff. Brianismyguy.com. And also Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I'm going to go move some boxes, take some stuff over to the house tomorrow. We're going to be cleaning. We're going to be packing, unpacking, all that kind of stuff. But we will have a new studio set up, ready to go for game week. And I'm excited to get back to it next week. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.